Welcome, 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 everybody, to Strike Force Five, the uh, podcast where five late night hosts who find themselves out of work and who have large staffs that they've been supporting band together so they don't have to resort to releasing a line of toaster ovens or selling pictures of their feet. That is essentially the theme and purpose of Strike Force Five. I am John Oliver, and I'm joined by what I like to call the Strike Force Four. First, Let me welcome a son of South Carolina, and up until May 2nd, I believe, an employee of CBS. It's Stephen Colbert. Hello, John. Hello. Joining us is a graduate of Socrates High School. If you look at the notable alumni on his Wikipedia page, you'll see names such as Jimmy Fallon, and that's it, Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm so excited to be here. We're also joined by a man born in the historic borough of Brooklyn and raised in the historic mistake of Las Vegas. Jimmy Kimmel is here. Thank you, and how dare you? Finally, we have someone who, like three of the Strike Force Five, apparently appeared in an episode of Spin City. You know him for playing Chris Byrne in the movie New Year's Eve, playing himself in the interview, himself in This Is Us, himself in Lady Dynamite, himself in Crashing, and himself in Late Night with Seth Meyers. It's Seth Meyers. If you're looking for himself, I'm the guy. That's what they call range. Wow. And not one Emmy nod for playing you. So you're not that convincing. That is Seth Meyers. No. That's sad. Think for yourself and nobody does. Better than Seth. Can I can I just jump in here because I know we talked about Spin City, all three of us having done Spin City on episode one. Yeah. I think episode one. There have been so many at this point; they're all classics. And uh, I had a, I had a Spin City story. It's, it's a real quick story. So mm-hmm. uh, Jennifer Garner was one of the other people who was doing uh, you know a, a guest spot on that. And she was she'd never done anything before. She's absolutely just like fresh off the bus from West Virginia, and. After the episode was over, there was a little rap party and I'm at it. And I'm like, well, I need a job. I'm out of, I'm out of work. And, and I have a baby and she goes, oh, I am out of work and I'm a babysitter. Why don't I come babysit? What could I said, great. I'll hire you to be our babysitter. So Jennifer Garner was our babysitter for a little period of time there. Wow. And, wow. and then, uh, Honey, why don't our- we stay home? Why don't we just hang out with the new babysitter? <laughs> well, we well, the thing to, is, is that we're going to see this she, movie. <laughs> she so just that, does it a few times, and she goes like, "Oh, I'm going to Los Angeles. I can't be a babysitter anymore. I'm going to Los Angeles because I've got a new manager, and he wants to move out there." And we thought, like, "Oh my God, that place is just going to swallow her. Poor thing. She's just like corn-fed, milk scrubbed, and it's just going to eat her alive." She goes out to Los Angeles, and we don't hear from her. I guess she does uh, has a part on Party of Five or something like that, and then. I'm driving to work one day at the Daily Show and I come out of the Lincoln Tunnel and I see on the side of a building in Times Square, like 10 stories tall, it's her in the gray cat suit with a pink wig from Alias. You know, that 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 first wow. promo shot yeah. in, looking insanely hot. And I go into the the little corner deli and there was a copy of TV Guide. Remember TV Guide? There was a copy of TV Guide and she was on the cover in the cat suit with a, the wig with the gun looking sexy. I love TV Guide. And I bought that and I took it home and I showed it to Evie and I covered the name on the front and I said, guess who that is? And she said, I don't know, somebody who was on The Daily Show tonight. I said, nope, nope, you know this person. I said, she goes, I know this person. She goes, I I, I, I have no idea. Who is that? And I removed my finger over the name. She goes, oh, Jen, but she wasn't hot. And I said, 
Yes, she was. <laughs> and she, and Evie said, you never said anything. And I said, what would you expect me to say? Have you noticed how incredibly hot the babysitter is? Now, please meet our new babysitter, Jessica Alba, who is, I think, a three <laughs> at best. Where exactly are all of you right now? Just so that listeners can have a visual uh, of what we are all looking at. W where are you? Who is nearby? And uh, yeah, describe the room that you're sitting in right now. Yeah, I, Town, I am in a room. Uh, it's it's actually a room that I, I think will be my office. I just moved into this house. I moved, uh, and so I have a room, and I, I'm going to make it an, into an office but right now. It's just it's just almost there. And so you're just ignoring the sheepskin rug that's over your shoulder that's drawing the eye. It's it's faux sheep. Oh sure. <laughs> I don't know if you could throw paint through a zoom lens. But... <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 no animals were harmed with my when I purchased my couch. It's fake all the way, but yeah. But I think I, I did go a little too. It almost looks like something Game of Thrones from the Game of Thrones set. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. It's implying winter is at least on its way. I'm in a guest room bedroom, and the other day, got in here like 20 minutes before we had to start the podcast, and I took a nap on the guest room bed. Mm. And then my wife yeah. came in afterwards and said. Did you, did you sleep in that bed? And it's the most scared I've been the whole summer. <laughs> hey, not did a you, lot of sleep in did it. Did you, did you sleep like using a sham as a pillow? Cause that's when I've gotten stink guy. Like, are you using a sham as a pillow? I, what I did was I lied as still as possible. And when it was over, tried to smooth it all out. I think it's not that I'm not allowed to sleep in the guest room bed. It's that I'm not allowed to sleep during the day. I'm living a very anti-nap existence with three children, seven and younger. The idea that I, rather than my wife, would decide I need a bit of downtime. Stephen, where, where are you? Describe me. I'm in South Carolina. I'm in the low country of South Carolina, and I'm in a bedroom that was uh, originally, you know, uh, for my two boys when they were boys. Now they're, you know, six plus, six foot plus, and could bench me. And it's got a little portal. Does it see that little? Yeah, so it's, like a, it's ship theme, so it's got a portal on the wall. Isn't oh, that nice? I'm also and, uh, in this room that was meant for Stephen's boys, but they never showed up. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. didn't fall for it. John, where are you? I'm I'm in our office, our deserted office. So it's just a large office building with absolutely nobody in it, and I'm pacing around it like I'm in The Shining. Do you have to you, sneak in there? I mean, are you even allowed by order of the WGA to enter those premises? To enter a building? Can you not even enter a building? Is this? Oh, no, you cannot. Oh, really? Okay, then it, you're going to have to hold on. I need to go outside. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. It's, uh, you're it's 50, in a quiet corner of New York City, right? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's 57th Street, which is a bit like a sheep's meadow. A sheep that <laughs> Fallon probably slaughtered at some no, point. No, no, yeah. With his bare hands so... strangled to death. Mm. This is faux Let's start this episode with the promise that we delivered at the end of the last one, which is, uh, Kimmel, when and why did Batman try to kill you? Well, I don't remember this. I don't remember. No, I, I don't remember the specifics <laughs> of why we did this, but we had an ice hockey game. I think it was during the Winter Olympics, and Kubo Gooding Jr. was on a team of celebrities playing against team of superheroes from Hollywood Boulevard. These are people 
they're not actual superheroes. They dress as superheroes and, and they take photographs with tourists. One of them was Batman, and we use Batman on the show a lot. Batman used the N-word on our show because he was angry at Cuba Gooding Jr. And after the show, I said, he's never on the show again. And word got back to Batman that I had personally banned him from the show. And then the Incredible Hulk came to our building very concerned and said Batman just bought a gun for $80 and he's going to shoot Jimmy with it. That's a good so deal. Our That's crack, a good deal. The our point. crack security team at the time went into action and uh, they locked <laughs> everything down and they put mug shots, they put photos up of the guy who wanted to kill me but the guy was wearing the Batman mask in the photos. Oh. i this man. Be careful. The guy in the Batman mask. And then he was, uh, he was indeed arrested and did quite a bit of time. We haven't seen him since. <laughs> well, if he's, if he's listening now, reach out. Reach out, Batman. We can, uh, let's have you a guest show on Mendo's yeah. Bridges. We'd yeah. love to hear from you. There is no perfect way for a talk show to end, but I think being murdered by Batman would put you there in some kind of television history. Okay, yeah. uh, you guys have seen The Joker, the movie The Joker, or Joker, sure. whatever it's called. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So De Niro, I have De Niro on the show, and he says to me, he goes, so now you, you, you play the talk show host, late night talk show host, what do you, what do you think of our, our jobs? You know, I'm sure you went very deeply into it. And, uh, and he goes, I modeled him on you. I modeled him on you. I said, that's not so great. And he goes, why? He goes, I know how it ends for your character. Yeah. And like, matter of fact, people called me up and said, hey, maybe don't go watch that movie because of how it ends for De, Niro, De Niro's character. And so I've now, of course, I only went and watched that scene. I've never seen anything else in the movie. I've only seen- I was genuinely disturbed by that. I have to say afterwards, I was like, oh no, like, are, yeah. is this gonna be in somebody's head now? To yeah. do something like this? Modeled on me. Modeled on you. We modeled, modeled on you, but used our cue card guy, Wally Fairston, is oh, in really? the Joker as the cue card guy. Beth, you're doing this to yourself. I pointed out, I've made our cue card guy, Wally, too famous. I, I put him on camera a lot during the pandemic, and now he's his own thing. It's Turns a slow-moving coup. Every time I get there, he's got more and more props. Sometimes he's got bits that he's coming with. But and the cue cards aren't good anymore. Now the cue cards just say things like, you know, Trump stuff, dot, dot, dot. Who would have ever guessed that the only thing Batman and the Joker would have in common is a desire to kill talk show hosts? Hey, can I ask the cue card, uh, you cue card people? Because Oliver, you use prompter. I use prompter. Yeah, cue cards would terrify me. And the three of y'all, you all use cue cards, right? I used to use cue cards first 10 years. And then um, my cue card operator had to have a shoulder operation and we switched to teleprompter. For the first few weeks of COVID, we uh, didn't have our prompter hooked up, so I had to use a voice-activated iPad that's only calibrated to an American accent, and it nearly drove me out of my fucking mind. Did you have to talk like this, John? Yeah. Hi, welcome to last week tonight. I'm exactly. John. Throw Oliver. in a sedated John Wayne if you want the script to move along. <laughs> Still, it was some happy times. I will say this: Fallon has the scariest uh, for me. As I have. A traumatic flashbacks to when the prompter went out when you hosted the Golden Globes, which is, I think, everybody's. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the worst thing that ever happened to anyone. You rolled with it so well, but that is 
Yeah. It felt like it felt like three hours of silence. It was awful. I had this giant song and dance, well directed, well edited, big giant splashy opening, Golden Glows, da 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 da. It was show business. Everybody, it was so fun. It was awesome. And then it's like, ladies and gentlemen, here he is, your host, Jimmy Fallon. I walked out, and then uh, I just saw the prompter just go off. You know, it's a giant screen with all the jokes that we've been working on for months, just go off. And then I go, well, they'll fix it. You know by the time and and then i saw like a c prompt you know what that means like you know like yeah it's c like, colon slash like a like, real computer they're like, rebooting it from like, like the kernel yeah <laughs> i go oh this is a bad sign this is no way this is like going into hard drive stuff and i started sweating and then i, I saw a prompter go on behind the prompter with like the front top of my jokes but it was covered by another prompter so, <laughs> a third prompter <laughs> emergency prompter was behind the so the, the the way to look at the emergency prompter would be have to someone would have to take down the original prompter and could read the jokes. i actually i investigated that to find out what happened do you remember what happened i think i oh. told you what happened a no photographer needed to charge his um his camera batteries and he unplugged your prompter no way yep that's right Wow. Is that, is that insane that that's possible? It, it's, I think about it every time I host anything. Uh, in fact, at the Oscars, um, my teleprompter for one full segment was a mirror image. It was completely reversed. <laughs> I managed to read it. And afterwards, I was like, holy shit, what the fuck? And they're like, what? Everybody's like, no one noticed. I was the only person who noticed it. Wow, you're too good. It was crazy. It was really weird. I mean, it was like, well, why is that even an option on the prompter? <laughs> Did you want reverse mirror? No, it's for it's for Hebrew. It's someone on. backstage is like, hey, how does Kimmel like it? Front ways is backwards. <laughs> He's gonna come out with a mirror like a barber, where they spin the chair around. And go, how do you like the back of your hair? And that's what gonna do his monologue. <laughs> That's what happened, and it was just that one segment in the middle of the show, and it was oh, right wonderful. I did the ESPYS once, which was live. Went out and rehearsed. Of course, it's an empty theater, but you know you want to see where your prompter is. And the other thing is, you know, obviously it's different when you're doing your show every night. But the teleprompter operators, you're meeting them for the first time. They don't know your rhythm as well, and she just want to read through it once and have them scroll. All goes well. Night of the ESPYS, the row in front of the prompter, they put two offensive linemen for the New Orleans Saints. The giant, like the biggest men you've ever seen. And they just fill the bottom half of, of the prompter. We didn't think people so were all of a sudden up. now you have just like yes, so much less wiggle room because ha half of the words you just can't see. Punchlines are all missing. <laughs> the I will say I hosted the Globes either one or two years after Jimmy and I was so nervous about that prompter thing that we had Wally in a tuxedo stood next to the prompter with cards. He was our backup. <gasps> That's a good Everything went smoothly, but I couldn't walk out having seen that, not knowing that there was a sort of a analog solution to the problem. Jimmy, do you remember when we uh, I hosted the Emmy Awards and then you and I presented the year after together? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I so I host the Emmy Awards and I hosted. And I had a good. I think I did a good job hosting. Uh, it was good. I got good reviews. The ratings were good. It was, listen, I know you're being humble. It was a smash. Everyone it was loved a smash. it. It was great. The glow when I pulled up at the Emmys in the parking lot and Jimmy and I, Jimmy got out of the, his car. I got out of my car. It was as if I was an invisible man.
everyone was so thrilled to see him. It was, he was riding high. The king is back. And so I got unbelievable. You, start, you started the show with that musical number and you ended as like Bruce at the end, right? Didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah. I, was, I remember yeah. that distinctly. Yeah. Yeah. That was, oh, that was, it was like a glee opening. It was, it was really fun. Uh, and so I get there and I'm, I'm going to come out with Kimmel and we're going to do a, a bit and just, you know, introduce a category. And right about as they're about to announce, Kimmel uh, elbows me and goes, uh, Jimmy, look at, look at the, uh, look at the monitor, look at the teleprompter. And it, it said, uh, uh, Jay Kimmel slash Jay Fafon. <laughs> Misspelled my name. And the year after, I hosted the, I was the king. I hosted the Emmys. I spent, you know, weeks there. And my name was on every sign, everything. Jay Kimmel Jay, and Jay Fafon. F-A-F-O-N. And I go, God, it's so it happened so quickly. Real quick, I want to say you, uh, I've gone back and YouTube watched it because it's one of my favorite falls. I've ever seen live. You did a bit one year. Was it when you hosted where you came out and you started singing an auto-tune song? <laughs> that was a good bit. It was I, so I, douchey because you came out, you had one of those headset mics and you were just came out singing to auto-tune. You took the best fall and then you were just in a lot of pain, but you were still auto-tuned. So screaming in auto oh, that's right. Ah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I think was like, I no, broke something. I'm, yeah. Something I, like this shit like that. not part of the bit. This is not part of the bit. <laughs> I'm serious. Help me. <laughs> I think I really did chip something with my elbow with that fall. I wouldn't have been surprised. The part, because it's a, it's a great bit it was worth that it. could become an okay bit if the fall wasn't perfect. And the fall's so good. I came out clapping like, ah. <laughs> everyone like hyped up and I had a like a in sync like a Janet Jackson microphone like oh yeah oh yeah like whatever like it was so dumb and then fell and then screamed in pain and then just rolled the rolled the package or something <laughs> I remember once being in a limo with Sandberg pulling up to I think the SBs and early on in his time at SNL this would happen all the time he goes well who's the first person who's going to call me the first photographer on the red carpet who's going to call me Adam Sandler by accident and I said, oh, it'll happen within the first three. And so we get out and first guy's like, Adam Sandler, Adam Sandler over here. And I laugh really hard. And then the next <laughs> photographer says to me, Bill Hader. And it was gutting because those two, my name doesn't sound like Bill Hader. No excuse there. Yeah. And Sandberg, Adam Sandler yeah. sound kind of familiar. Yeah. I was just thinking of this red carpet once where they were like, Jimmy, uh, give us a thumbs up. Give us a thumbs up, man. I go, ah, I don't really do thumbs up. I don't know. It's not my thing. They go. Ah, come on, man. Just give us a thumbs up. And I don't know why they so were like, that's so weird. They really yelled that to me. And so I go, come on, man. Just give us a thumbs up. I go, I just, all right. So I give a thumbs up and that's my thumbs up. And it gets posted. It's in the New York Post. And I say, I go, Jimmy Fallon, give me a weird thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, I swear. Uh, I got to tell you, I just uh, saw that thumbs up. It was a little bit weird. It was a pretty weird thumbs up. So even now, you know, when you haven't self-corrected. Yeah. I don't do it well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you know. I, I've, I've, I've harmed my thumb as a kid. My, my thumb is mangled, and even my thumb's up is less weird yeah. than yours. You know what the, the, the hard thing, though, to explain is Jimmy does a great thumbs down. <laughs> I, mean, that's, I mean, that's natural and beautiful. Remember when Siskel and Ebert started? It wasn't just thumbs up, thumbs down. It became the height of their thumbs. It was like oh. two thumbs. Way no, up, no, way up. No, whoa, real. Oh, yeah. but they they um, literally wouldn't make the thumbs longer, like no, on no, no. <laughs> oh, look, Pinocchio. Thumbs way up meant really, really good. So then, any of two thumbs up, people were probably like, 
wait, our movie wasn't a, great. So now that now they go, no, two thumbs way up. I do remember when Siskel got his thumb extended, and then Ebert was super mad, and then he got <laughs> his. Well, they had different surgery. They, they had, had a plumb. You have to keep contact. shooting that stuff in there because it's it, yeah. after a while it comes back down again. Siskel and Ebert were on my show years ago, and they were pushing some special, some television special that they were doing, and they got a review in the L.A. Times. And I said, "Yeah, you got a nice review in the L.A. Times." And they got so excited. They're like, "Do you have that? Do you do is do you <laughs> can we see a copy of that?" And I thought, "Wow, that's so interesting. The guys that do reviews care about their reviews." very very much and then we got them the review and during the commercial break they're reading it together and like wow he never usually gives good reviews this is great that's <laughs> hilarious uh, we talked about this uh, a bit the other week but um obviously we're all hosts of late night shows but also not currently hosting any of them and i was wondering what um what each of you would be doing if you never got given a late night show because there are not many of these jobs that actually exist it's like wanting to be a Supreme Court justice or a Major League Baseball mascot. There aren't many slots available. I probably would have ended up with a lawyer. A lot of my family are lawyers. Bodybuilder for me, for sure. Bodybuilder? Yeah. Who's? You would build bodies? <laughs> I would like, be uh... Like cadavers that you stitch so together? Like a Frankenstein? Like, You'd yeah, be a Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Or more like uh, a human centipede. What are we talking here? Or an astronaut. One of those two. <laughs> I wanted to be an artist when I was a kid, and that was my plan for my life until I got a radio show. What kind of artist? Cartoons, drawings. Oh, have right. you okay. never seen any of his art? It's fantastic. I've seen Jimmy's young Jimmy's superhero art, and I also wanted to be a comic book artist when I was young. But I then I genuinely mean this. Like when I saw what you were doing when you were young, I was like, oh, I wasn't even close. Oh, oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. I want to see some of it. I I I only know your art from a, a, a scraper I bought at Wayne Sonoma for charity that you did, and you drew your you drew your face on the the spoon. A spatula. It's actually a spatula. Spatula. Yeah. Get it right, sir. Yeah. Apologies. Would do you do spoons? <laughs> I do spoons. That was my fault. I will say just regarding spoons. Uh, once I was asking uh, the writers for mean things about my appearance, and they said you look like someone reflected back in a spoon, and it hurt too much <laughs> very good though i mean On the inside or the uh back of the pretty spoon? funny outside it's uh back yeah, it's, spoon, yeah. it's both funny accurate and so mean i've never yeah. ever forgot yeah. it i i really wanted to be when i was a kid i really wanted to be jacques Cousteau. that was i wanted to be like a marine biologist i thought that would be super cool have my own ship everybody wears chambray shirts and red caps and we go in search of the great blue whale like uh moby like moby dick yeah, that's why well, you're very well read, Jimmy. That's that's right. Wow. <laughs> why why should someone read Moby Dick, Jimmy? I'm just curious. It, it, why it, should it, someone do that? I don't know. It's up to you. You got to make the choice. And you, do you feel like it's one of those books you got to finish? You don't even have to start it. <laughs> you just got to start it. That's the you thing. You don't even have to start sure. it. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. How far did you get in? If I say the word Pequod, does that mean anything to you? No, it sounds. It, it's what it, Jimmy draws on specialists. I think he been shaking off a handful of pages in. No. Hey, John. What would you? I know you asked the question. What would you be doing if you weren't doing this? What I wanted to do was I wanted to be an athlete. I wanted to be a football player. That's what I wanted with every beat of my heart. Oh. I, I still want it now. And by football, so you mean soccer? Well, I do mean that, but I wouldn't use that word. Yeah, I understand. I I'm not. I'm yeah. not. 
I'm just for I the people it. listening. I loved it so much. You say football, that means yeah. We just assume football. Yeah, that's what I wanted more than anything. Really? People listening can't see the ball that John is holding up right now. Oh God, I've got I have so many football artifacts in my office and home, just of a life that I wanted and couldn't achieve. Did really? you play in high school? I did. I played, but I, my dad took me to my first game when I was nine years old, and I made him let me wear my full Liverpool kit underneath my clothes, plus like shin guards and boots or cleats, <laughs> as you call them. Oh, you my rationale at nine years old was if if someone got hurt and they ran out of players, they might just turn to the crowd and say, "Does anyone have the necessary equipment to help out?" <laughs> and a, I thought it, it would go well. That's a movie. That's a movie. D- did you play uh, at Cambridge? No, I didn't. They didn't really play there. There's, uh, I, I played at high school, though. I missed a penalty when I was 13 years old and never fully got over it. And then that's a big thing. Yeah. I, then I scored it, years later in the Edinburgh Festival. We used to play against the Scottish team there. The comedians would play a Scottish team. And I scored a penalty during that game. And the wave of relief that came off me was like the weight of a thousand elephants being lifted off my shoulder i actually i ran over to my dad my dad was watching i think it was i think i genuinely made him proud i i took off my shirt handed it to him like as a joke and there were tears in his eyes i think he thought you know what i wanted you to be a footballer if this is as far as you can get i'll take it yeah my father used to when i was in the outfield um my father would yell close your mouth why is your mouth open? <laughs> what are you catching flies out there? Close your mouth. My dad was a little league coach, and I remember the league intervened and suggested he should be an umpire because that would be a more appropriate place to yell at kids that weren't his own. <laughs> and he did. He umpired for years. It was so I, you know, I played baseball. I loved little league. Loved it. It was terrible. It was terrible at the game. And but I liked the outfits. Like I, I really liked the strap socks. You know, like the set, the stirrup socks because you got two socks. Like oh, what colors are? Oh, we got green with a white stripe or whatever. And that went over your regular knee socks. And then the then the strap, the stirrup socks came over that. And I love the crazy little short pants and the the pads. And I just I love the whole thing. But wasn't very good, so they put me out in the outfield. And it's South Carolina in the summertime. It's 1,050 degrees and just mosquitoes descending on you, just like packs of rabid dogs, tear you flesh. <laughs> we would just find like husks of children yeah. in the grass at the end of the game and just try to revivify them. But I also love the smell of a mask. I mean, I have a mask of a glove. I love um, the smell of that glove. So if you pulled, if you pulled your like shirt collar up really high, and then put your mask over your face and just peer through the webbing of the mask. You could see home plate, but you could, it was cool and it smelled good in there and the mosquitoes couldn't get at your face. <laughs> and yeah. so I would do that. And and more than once, I I um, kind of got lost in there. Sure. And, and only came out of it when people were screaming my name long enough to penetrate whatever daydream I was on. And I took it off, and the ball was at my feet. I saw you early in COVID, and you had a baseball mitt duct taped to your face. <laughs> we we didn't know much about the virus back then. It was at first. Fauci was like, "Don't use baseball masks. There aren't enough. Don't use gloves. There aren't enough <laughs> to go around." It's, it's for the first responders. They need for the first. The oh, they need the gloves. The don't yeah. don't use them. And you then later goes, eh, "We were wrong about the gloves." I played one 
baseball wants. It was for the big slick, you know, that charity that yeah. Rob Riggle and Sadakis yeah. uh, and Paul Rudd, Rudd do. Yeah, and so we played at the Kansas City Royal Stadium, and I was on George Brett's team, and I don't know who he was, but yeah, I, he, apparently a very famous baseball player. Oh, he's a yeah. legend. Yeah, and so I, uh, Paul Rudd was pitching, and I was very nervous about doing this in front of people, so I kind of was joking around like, with a cricket swing at the start, and then he, I, I, he pitched it. I swang. I hit one swing, one hit. I hit a home run. Wow. around and George Brett just lifted me off the ground when I got to home plate, just shaking me, <laughs> oh saying, I didn't God. think wow. you could do that. I didn't think you could do it. Great story. That's incredible. Yeah, it was you, amazing. Have wow. you guys seen the video of George Brett um, stretching and describing shitting his pants in a Las Vegas casino? I have yeah. since seen that, and it's spectacular. No. Oh, I have sucks. not had the pleasure. It is so good. Every every second of it is is yeah. incredible, including the fact that none of the other guys seem to be particularly interested in hearing the story. <laughs> Great story. It's true. What's he's this? kind of talking to himself. It's like a personal yeah. monologue, and he's yeah. nailing it. Did this did intestinal distress like up? catch him by surprise? Like, did he yeah, not? I don't want to. I I just feel just look it up because yeah. it's it's okay. well worth watching. Yeah, it's well worth watching. I like that. People are listening to this podcast with the idea that we're going to give them insight into our jobs as late night hosts. And we spent the last like 38 minutes talking about Little League. Well, I just say this is what our Zooms were like. Yes. Let's, uh, let's throw to uh, the first message from our sponsors. I love a good podcast. Oh, hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, owner of Mint Mobile. I was just saying I love a good podcast, but I often I find my mind wandering. One minute I'm enthralled by the musings of four bored men and a sassy British lady, and the next, I'm trying to remember how many tomatoes I have at home. Is that number enough for a nice salad? And in case listening to podcasts has shortened your attention span too, I'm going to keep this message from Mint Mobile as focused as possible. For a limited time, you can get premium, unlimited wireless for just $15 a month. That's right, just $15 a month for toothpaste. I keep forgetting about toothpaste. Sorry. Unlimited premium on 15 what if squirrels were the dominant species instead of humans? That could happen. Dollars a month. You know what? Go to go to mintmobile.com slash strikeforce and see for yourself just to be safe. Ooh, something shiny. $45 up front required plus tax and fees. Three-month promo rate renews at full price. Limited time for new customers only. Data speeds reduced after 40 gigabytes per month for unlimited. Video streams at 480p. Visit mintmobile.com. Thank you, Mint Mobile. You're real. Fantastic. Really all the money that Mint Mobile has given us for this podcast goes to our staffs. We appreciate it. Yeah, we do appreciate it very much. So um, aside from hosting late night shows, I know that we're all big fans of the history of them as well. And I thought it might be nice for each of us to recommend for people other than videos of George Brett describing shitting himself, which I, I cannot co-sign on enough. That's a rock solid way to spend a few minutes. He he um, told that story on Dick Cavett, didn't he? <laughs> I think it was Cavett him and him Saul Bellow. Yeah, and then they and Gore Vidal. Hot. And then while they were fighting, George Brett shit his pants. <laughs> you had dinners with Cavett, right? I am happy to say that I've become uh, dear friends with Dick Cavett over the years. And if you want anyone to tell you a story about Marlon Brando, there's no there's no better person in the world, or Lunton Fontaine or Elizabeth Taylor or Groucho Marx, whatever. And some of those stories repeat, they never get old. He's great. The, he really is. Amazing. Wrote for Carson, wrote for wrote for um, Jack Parr. 
yeah. was a he was he was a student at Yale and he used to take the train down to New York City, he said, and he would just wear a trench coat, had an old copy of Variety and tuck it under his arm. And yeah. he would walk in backstage at Broadway theaters like he owned the place. And then he heard that Jack Parr, that his monologue was the most important thing to him. And he was working as a runner at Time Magazine, like essentially like a PA. And he went over there with an envelope that said Time Magazine on it. It put a packet of jokes in it. And he said, I have a message for, I have a packet of delivery for Jack Parr. And Jack Parr walked by and goes, what's that? And took it and walked away. And then he went and sat in the audience and Jack Parr told two of his jokes. WGA violation right there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Sorry, Jack. You can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> There's nothing like that, though, getting a joke on the, on the air. What was the first joke you got on SNL, Jimmy? I wrote a joke for Norm MacDonald when he was update. Uh, Same here. That was my first joke I got on there was for Norm, Norm MacDonald. And it wasn't really, he gave me kind of credit for it. It was a generic joke that anyone could have made, and I forget what it was now, but I used to send him jokes, and it got on, and I freaked out. How did you get those to him at, at that time? I mean, were you working there, or were you faxing oh, them to I him? Was How faxing, was I was faxing jokes to uh, to Norm. I just had heard that if you do, like, he's always looking for extra jokes, and this is, you know, again, it's illegal to, to do, but... That's Back what, then, it was very common, yeah. It was very common. And uh, I was so excited. I freaked out. I go, oh, my gosh. You, yours was Norm, too? I, mine was Norm, too. I, I got one joke on. I got one made it to rehearsal and one made it to the show. Um, the, the, the one that made it to the show was, it was uh, American Airlines, I think. American Airlines has announced that they will be improving their first aid kits on flights in, uh, in hopes of reducing fatalities. The new kits will include common antibiotics, a defibrillator, and a spare plane. Very good. Very good. <laughs> that sounds like no. Yeah. Spare yeah. plane. And a spare plane. So, yeah. And did you fax? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't actually get, no, I was working there. I was working there. I was a guest writer for one month there, three shows, one month, um, because they had done the Dana Carvey show sketch that I'd written with Smigel. And Louis C.K. about uh, Gerald Ford dying, and and all the different ways he could possibly have died, uh, being uh, broadcast by. Uh, you wrote that. Yeah, that was actually based on when we were doing the Dana Carvey show. I was in Louis's office, uh, working on a script, and everybody else was in a production meeting for a sketch that I wasn't in, so I wasn't in that room. And I was watching Dan Rather because we're using CVS facilities, even though it's an ABC show. I was watching Dan Rather on the feed. And Dan Rather was doing Reagan's obituary. I'm like, oh, shit, Reagan died. So I went in and said, hey, you guys, I'm watching Dan Rather just announced Ronald Reagan just died. And they went, oh, OK, OK. And they went back to their production meeting. And then when I went back into Louis's office to continue working on the sketch, he was still recording it over and over again. And I went, oh, he's banking the obituary. And so I went back in and I said, it's one of my favorite sketches. I, I said, no, he, he's not dead. Uh, Rather's just banking the obituary. <laughs> and I said, and he's like wearing like seasonally neutral clothing so he can run this anytime. And because he clearly wants to be out in the Hamptons this summer and he wants to be able to like <laughs> chop her in and Breaking still news. Have, be, be the first person to do it while he's choppering oh. in for this. And I think Louis said, 
oh my god then Gerald Ford died like what if Reagan died in a really unusual way like you can't just say he's dead so he me and Louis and Robert sat in a room and we came up with all the different ways that he could die yeah and And that's the one of them was also announcing that he was gay and then he died Gerald Ford died today and I'm gay now come on I'm not gay no today you're not what if but, you, you know you what? What if tomorrow Gerald Ford dies? You wake up suddenly. You like men. That's a big story. And you know, Peter Jennings what, is telling the Peter world. Peter Jennings is telling tell, tell the world that everybody you're gay. And he goes, fine, fine. So right. anyway, that was that was the sketch that got Lauren's attention. And he go and and Dana said, oh, that was Stephen's idea. It wasn't really. I was one of the guys who wrote on it. I was like, uh, oh. that was Stephen's idea. You really? should come yeah. work with us for a while. So I got a guest thing for a month. It was it saved my life. I was like, I had a baby, no job. It was fantastic. The first joke I ever got on TV got me fired. I can't remember if I told any of you wow. this. I was, I was working for the Big Breakfast. as It's my first writing job on TV in the UK, which was a morning TV show. And uh, there was they were, had Tatiana Ali, who was there on, there on The Fresh Prince, was the guest. And they want well, they wanted to do this bit where they had like an emergency glass breaking case of uh, running out of ideas questions. So we just everyone was just writing like a whole bunch of jokes about what it was like working with Smilt, yada 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 yada. And the uh, the host would pick one of them. And I'd written a question saying, um, obviously the war in Kosovo isn't going well. It doesn't seem like airstrikes are going to be enough. Would you send in ground troops? And I, the chance of it getting picked out was really really low <laughs> and he picked it out he started reading it and I, I just my blood ran cold we were watching it on the feed in a different building <laughs> the whole writers room turning around going you are totally fucked right now yeah so the panic in her face she, i believe she said uh i don't know i wasn't expected to talk about this and that that seemed fair yeah pretty good on the feet that, that was no one was doing jokes like that then speaking yeah. of people you you don't know whether they're dead when the first night that there was night baseball at, at Wrigley Field, I was working. In, I was living in Chicago, working in Chicago at Second City, and everybody who wasn't basically working that night was at Wrigley Field. Like everybody was there. Everybody wanted to be for that first night game, and it was rained out. And they went as long as they possibly could to try to have the first night game actually complete, and to be an official game. And they built. They bring Bill Murray up to the booth. And Harry Carey's like, hey, Bill, how's your mom? And we all knew that Bill's mom had just died. <laughs> like people had been to the funeral because Second City had all been to the funeral. Everybody knew that Bill's mom is dead. And Harry goes, how's your mom? He goes, she's dead, Harry. <laughs> she's dead, Harry. And I remember thinking Bill Murray could say the word fuck on national television right now and no one would bleep him. They'd go like, he, got, he gets it. He gets this one right now. One, and, then, and then Harry goes, oh God, I'm so dad's dead too, Harry. Dad's dead too. Oh God, your dad. Oh God. He goes, you know about, you know about President Kennedy, right, Harry? You heard the news? And that's, I was like, that was one of my In favorite In Harry moments. Carey's defense, he was dead like 20 years before they officially called it. <laughs> Do you guys, before you interview a guest, make sure you find out if their parents are alive or dead and who in their <laughs> life is dead? Because I always do. If the question involves parenting in any way. 
No, there's not even. You a just question you just want to know that it's a landmine there, right? I just want to know in case I say something about you know in case I'm, we're just talking and yeah, in case there's a landmine exactly, and then I wind up dead too because I always have this this uh, vision of Kathy Lee Gifford asking Martin Short how his then recently yeah. deceased wife was and Marty letting her off very easily, but that's just a nightmare. And so I do make sure it's weird. I do make sure to find out who in their lives is dead. Dave once asked me about my dad oh. uh, on that. Oh, no. And and he said, uh, he, uh, he's, he's dead. He's dead. And he goes, Oh God, I'm, I'm sorry. How did I say he died in a plane crash, uh, Dave <laughs> with, uh, with two of my brothers. So all three of them died the same day. Yeah. It was like, ah, uh, okay. And I felt bad. Like I loved being on his show. What an honor yeah. to be there. And I felt terrible answering the question honestly, but I thought, let's just get it all out. And, uh, and that was the end of the interview. <laughs> oh, <thanks. laughs> and, and then in the final edit, it was, it didn't make it to air. I want you to know, it didn't make it to air. And I think that was good for him. And I think it was good for me. And I'm really happy to uh, Maria Pope, who was my producer that day. Maria's the greatest. She was Love so you. fun to do with. And I think everybody handled it really well. It was a bad situation. And mm. I, I, I endorsed asking if parents are alive. Thank you for that reminder, Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, we'll get right back to that when the strike's over. What a solid tip to any host in the future. Yeah. If I tell you one thing, it's just find out every single person you don't know when it's going to matter. So obviously, with no late night going on at the moment, are there any clips that you guys think people should know about that they may not have seen in the past? I'm think I was starting to think about things that have stuck in my head the most over the years. I remember the episode that Conan did where he did uh, a show entirely in front of an audience of children and it was absolute chaos the camera kind of pans over them at the start the cheering's in a high-pitched voice and he just looks so happy at the car crash that is about to unfold entirely of his own making and the best part is that he did not cater it for the kids at all he starts with an OJ joke I checked in the monologue, then makes a Barbara Streisand reference and says to the kids, you all know her from Yentl, right? But I think the hardest I laughed, you should watch all of it. The hardest I laughed was when he introduced the guests that are going to be on the show that night, and he ends with, and from CNN Financial News, Myron Candell is here. It is <laughs> so, the whole thing is so good. I can't oh. recommend it enough. Do, do any of you have clips that people should know about if they don't? There's one for me that I always, I think it's one of my favorite appearances I've ever seen, Jim Carrey on Jay Leno. And he goes on Jay Leno's show and, he, and Jay goes, uh, uh, Jim, welcome to the show. I'm great. He goes, uh, thanks for being here. You're a big star. He goes, Jay, I just want to say before we start this interview that I've hypnotized the audience. And he goes, oh, really? You've hypnotized the, the, the crowd? He goes, I peeked through the curtain and I've hypnotized the audience. And if I, when I say the right, the magic word, the crowd is going to give me a standing ovation. He's just like, okay. He goes, just do the normal interview, do it like you would normally do. And then when I say the magic word, just film, they're going to get, he's like, okay, well, it says here that you used to play little league uh, when you, when you were growing up, he goes, that's all well and uh, good, Jay, but I also love the taste of cinnamon and got a giant standing ovation and everyone went nuts. It was the funniest, stupidest thing ever. <laughs> and then it was the greatest bit. And then, and then he, <laughs> He does his whole regular interview, and then at the end, he calls it back and just goes, Cinnamon. <laughs> he gets another standing ovation on the way out, and he waves goodbye. And it just crushes. It's such a good, funny bit. 
I think it's a fairly famous bit, but Steve Martin showing David Letterman how you mark a deck of cards. Do you know that bit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the replay. It's just so good. He just he just shuffles it twice, and then they show a slow motion replay, and it's just of hands, and it's like he turns one over, writes ace on it in a marker, bends it, bends it, rips one and rips a corner off one. In terms of whole Letterman shows, oh. that, that last Warren Zevon episode is incredible. Mm. He's the only guest plays yeah, three yeah. songs. One of my favorites incredible. That, that's in that obscure category is Dave's Waiting for the Cable Guy episode. He said, I really, he, he's at home. And he said, you know, I've been really wanting to get cable. And I try to schedule the guy to come by and I'm at work every day. So uh, today's show, I'm uh, tonight's show, I'm going to be in my house waiting for the cable guy. And Charles Grodin is the guest in studio and Dave is being piped in over whatever they used at that time. <laughs> and Charles Grodin is fantastic as he always is uh, in every late night talk show appearance but he's especially mad and especially fired up because dave's not there and it's just great dave sitting in a rugby shirt with um adidas on waiting in his house for the cable guy to show up my favorite it's the one that always comes to mind when i think of like classic late night dave is um camping with barry white do you guys know camping with barry white it's oh, yeah. it's like it's almost like a psa where he's like how many times has this happened to you you're camping with Barry White and he gets bitten by a snake. So what happens, it's what to do if you're camping with Barry White and they had a rubber snake and they had Barry White there. They had a little, they had a campfire set up, you know, like a little campfire with like a fan blowing a piece of red, red cloth to make the fire and a tent in the background and a couple of trees and some astroturf for grass. And it's just Barry White there. I think Barry's whittling. I think he's whittling on a stump. I and then so. and, and Dave comes and goes like, how many times has this happened to you? And then you see it, the, they have a little snake and the snake's being pulled by a little piece of monofilament. And Barry White goes, oh, no. Oh, no, Dave. It's a snake. <laughs> Help me, Dave. Help me. Oh, and then the snake bites him. And he goes like, all you have to do is, and Dave gets down, he goes, take a, take a knife. And he cleans it on his pants, make a cross cut over each section. And then, and then, he, then he takes Barry White's leg and he sucks the poison out of Barry White's leg and then sucks and spits and sucks and spits and goes, and there you go. You know, be prepared. My favorite. A mosquito repelling amulet was one of the props on that uh, camping. Oh, that Barry was wearing. He was wearing a mosquito repelling amulet. Yes, fantastic. There's a um, interview that I'm uh, deeply jealous of, which is uh, Jesus Amaro interviewed Denzel Washington, and he's usually so serious. And the whole first ten minutes of the interview is them talking about train stations in the Bronx, and it's just so specific. <laughs> And I don't, none of it registers with me, except you know <laughs> that three guys are, everything they say is just perfectly remembered. And it's the most, I watched it and thought, oh, I think this is the purest version of Denzel Washington I've ever seen. Who's such a wonderful actor that, you know, so much of his life is not showing you his true self, but him talking about what train stations used to be like and what they're like now is one of my favorite talk show interviews. What I love about some of those really early late clips is the sense of genuine chaos in the air. And I've only ever seen that replicated by TNT's halftime show. If anyone watches that, it's absolutely 
yeah, Barkley, Shaq, oh, and Ernie Johnson. It's oh, fantastic. Oh, it's, it's Special so, on television. so good. You it do not fantastic. need to w- watch basketball. You don't need to watch the right. game that they're watching. My wife, my wife will watch that show with me. Yeah, yeah it, me too. But I get my wife to watch funny. it just for half time, just because she'll come in and watch it. Because so rarely are they talking about the game. It's just free form information. <laughs> they're it's fighting, so bickering, back referencing things they have not planted. It is. Truly, one of the best shows on television. Also, in a bad game, you realize they've only been like they've stopped paying attention to the game and they're making fun of each other. And they just pick, <laughs> yes. the halftime show is like them catching you up to speed. Yes, it's incredible. And and they will do the thing that you're never supposed to do, which is say this game stinks. This is I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> I want to talk about and then basically whatever the first thing that comes into their mind is. I saw Shaq get pushed into a Christmas tree. That's a solid late night bit. And that definitely didn't seem planned. They had a game. They had a game oh. for a while called "Who He Play For," where they were Barkley. They would just put up an image of a player, and then he would have to guess what team they played for. And I remember there was one time where they twisted it. It got to the end. They said, "Okay, what about this guy? Who he played for?" Barkley couldn't get it. Went. I'll give you a clue. He's playing in the game that we're watching right now. <laughs> <laughs> he got eight points and two rebounds. <laughs> I think he's my favorite guest of all the guests. And there's nobody in, I enjoy talking to more than Charles. He's fantastic. Charles Barkley comes on the show. His publicist <laughs> call beforehand from PBS and say, Charles does not want to talk about drinking or gambling. <laughs> Tell Jimmy, please do not. And I was like, all right, there's plenty of other stuff we can talk about. Charles sits down and immediately starts talking about drinking and gambling. <laughs> yeah, he's doing it. He hosted SNL, someone who just gotten married. And he said, congratulations to them. And then Charles said, did you get a prenup? And they said, no. And he said, you will next time. And I said, that's so funny. It's so funny. Let's take a moment to hear from the second of our uh, very generous sponsors this week. We are very excited to have our friends from Bullet Bourbon supporting Strike Force 5 and co-presenting today's episode. Do any of you know how to make a Manhattan? Like the one from Oppenheimer, like that kind of Manhattan? Or are we talking about the drink? Because, and I don't want to drop names, but my very, very dear friend, Huey Lewis, I was expecting applause or something, goes on and on for hours about uh, Manhattans. He says, beyond a great bourbon or rye, like Bullet, it's all about the sweet vermouth. Hmm, that's nice. Seth, um, off the top of your head, you have a good recipe for Manhattan. Don't think about it, just go. One ounce of your favorite bullet whiskey, whether the bourbon rye or 10-year-old, five ounces of sweet vermouth, three dashes of bitters, shaker, stir that puppy strain, and add the cherry. That was off the top of my head. Don't judge me. Stephen, <laughs> Stephen do you know why some whiskey spelled with an E and some without? Well, because it's a transliteration from Irish. Fallon, do you think Huey Lewis has a preference Wait, for an old-fashioned or a Manhattan? Uh, you think you'd have to ask him? Kimmel, can you ask him for us? I will ask him. It'll be the first thing that I address in our next conversation. Seth, please do the false disclaimer at the end of the ad. Please drink responsibly. Bullet Bourbon, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, 45% alcohol volume. The Bullet Distilling Company, Louisville, Kentucky. The Irish word is ishkabaha. It means water of life. Ugh. Boring. <laughs> uh, that's it. So thank you so much uh, for listening to Strike Force 5. Thanks so much to our sponsors, Mint Mobile and Bullet Bourbon. And uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, until yeah. this strike really is over. Really solid Peter out there. <laughs> yeah, we need to end yeah. with yeah. a bang. And I'm trying to think. How it's rare that it was rare when you can hear the ellipses. I'm so yeah. tired. I'm so tired. <laughs> hey, can anyone think of a way we could end this show with a bang? Like some strike 
what's like what's what what comes to mind when you hear something strike? thunderous strike mm -hmm. strike strike what's force five good day